welcome back to the Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them podcast. This is Tracy speaking and I am here with the lovely Priscilla as always. Hey everyone, we're back. And uh, this time we're back uh, recording remotely, unfortunately. We had one episode in person in the last episode, but we're back to our extreme social distancing. In, this is more extreme. In, in our own homes. Last time you and, were only two meters away from me. Yeah. And we saw each other in 3D, which was great. Um, <laughs> but and we ate lots of cake and had lots of drinks. So, you know, here we are back again, episode 11. So welcome, everyone. And uh, today, Priscilla and I are going to talk about two fantastic women. And we're also drinking cocktails, and I'm on cocktail duty, so I can't wait to tell you about the cocktails. But before I do, Priscilla, would you like to give any new listeners a quick outline of what we do? Yeah, of course. So if you're listening for the first time, welcome to our podcast. We are very proud of it. So what we discuss every week is that we both bring a woman to the conversation. Uh, Neither of us know who the other person is going to talk about. And it's usually women from the past and present. I'm always the one who is very, like, interested in women from history that, you know, has been maybe they haven't been represented or maybe you don't know about them or they need a bit of more light in their story. So I'm here to bring you uh, those stories and hopefully make justice to them. And Trey uh, usually brings someone who is very much alive. And, you know, we do that with the company of some very nice uh, refreshments, uh, which are really, really good cocktails. This one is very good. I'm actually almost... I'm almost, I was going to tell, I'll show you from the screen. I'm almost done with it. It's oh, very so good. Delicious. It's very foamy. So I cannot wait for Trey to uh, tell us what cocktail is this, Trey? So this cocktail is called the Eagle's Dream. Oh, and okay. uh, it's really, it's really, really tasty. It's got a little floral spring kind of feel to it. Um, so the ingredients are gin, creme de voilette, uh, lemon juice and sugar or simple syrup and you use a bit of egg white to give it that foam on the top I can't mm-hmm. have egg white so I actually used you know the brine from chickpeas no yeah that's apparently um a thing that if you can't eat egg white or if you're vegan you know and you need some sort of substitute if you use oh, the brine from chickpeas it gives it that delicious foamy silky taste the, the same as an egg white it- taste it's delicious it's really tasty so really yeah so i use that and it looks the exact same as yours it's real foamy on the top it's really delicious i mean from the screen i can definitely see it's foamy uh it definitely has foaminess but i was like <laughs> no i i rather drink my egg white <laughs> thank you i, I know, know like you know just chickpea brine does not sound it's like it's gotta be you, good exactly when you said chickpea brine i was like Brine versus egg white. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it so, is no, good. But it's, it's, it, it's a little trick. So if anyone out there didn't know about that trick, there you go, and it works. It's delicious. That is good to know. So. And uh, so all you do is add all the ingredients to a shaker, and you shake it without ice, mm-hmm. and then you add ice and shake again, and you double strain into a chilled, beautiful small glass. Now Priscilla did that. I chill. I strained mine into a really large wine glass, so now mine looks like a baby drink <laughs> at the bottom of my glass. <laughs> but you know, it's still, uh, it's still, still delicious. Good. Yeah, it's still, it's really, really nice. 
it's got a it's got a nice flavor to it and uh, really yeah. refreshing and um i would highly recommend it so that's the eagle's dream it's very good it's definitely um like we were just saying a moment ago it's definitely something that you can definitely drink at a bar like you can i can i can see this cocktail you know in a bar menu and order it it's so nice i really like it exactly like and if you come to priscilla's house you can order it in her bar yes so the reason i brought the eagle stream because our cocktail is usually related to our woman in some way um mm -hmm. is because today i'm going to talk about a mongolian eagle huntress so, oh yeah so uh ashulpan uh nurgav and she is a 13 year old nomadic Mongo mongolian girl and um i know better because i was watching a documentary about her and uh, she was competing, to, the documentary followed her and she was competing to become a female eagle hunter in her, like one of the hunters in her family, in her Kazakh family. And uh, so she started training when she was 10 years old, going into the mountains. And she decided then she wanted to become an eagle huntress. So a lot of strength, will, bravery and spirit involved in uh, can, I, can I ask a quick question? They don't so, hunt the eagles. Okay. They use the eagles to hunt you, for food. <laughs> you literally read my mind. You know me so well. Yeah. You were looking I at my like, face, wouldn't you? I yeah. Like, <laughs> I like, yeah, no, no. So they, they're nomads. So uh, they, and they I live on the step and um, on the step and they um, hunt small food for, to eat. It's a, so it's an art um, in itself. And these eagles are huge and it's a, part of their culture anyway but um in in, the, in this particular documentary it's about the golden eagle festival and actually a lot of tourists are now welcome to come to the festival and and they do and uh, even just getting the hunters together is kind of a bad logistical feat because they're all obviously nomads and so like they don't have like phones or you know a fixed yeah. address or <laughs> so they just kind of arrive at this festival on horseback you know and they uh you know in their in their wolf skin and fox fur and stuff and um they um you know just like it's like a normal festival children sitting around playing games and stuff like that so from the top of the so in this competition at the top of the mountain the eagle is released and the hunter waits on horseback down in a arena set up at the bottom of the mountain and the goal is to have the bird come down and meet the hunter and uh, like and and they swoop down and go onto their arm you know yeah. and um so the hunter usually holds a bit of meat up and then makes a loud cry for the birds and uh and it's not always like these birds are obviously huge they're coming down from the mountains they don't always land so smoothly on the arm you know so um so like it could be really um it, it could be a really exciting festival as well and they're very uh, heavy as well like yeah I, I don't know. I'm sure you're going to mention that. I don't know what type of eagle they are, but even the eagles that they are in North America, some parts of Mexico, they're massive. They yeah. are like so, so heavy. They can actually carry like a, a like a child. Like yeah. I have seen videos. They are so strong. So I cannot imagine this girl, which is amazing. Like, you know, yeah. calling for the eagle to come, like the strength and the power 
And also okay. like, like when, because you have your, you know, in this competition, like she's on the horseback and she has her back to the bird. She just, bird, I say bird as if it's like a little sparrow or something. Yeah. So, but like, and then she just calls them and she just, she has such trust. She just puts her arm up and calls them and they swoop wow. down. And it's just a, a, like to, to have, like to hope for the best as well, you know, <laughs> like to, it's, it's amazing. Like it's actually, you, your heart does go when you're looking at it. And, um, and they are huge, as you said, they're golden eagles and um, one of the they're other beautiful. they're beautiful and one of the other huntresses I was looking at she has hunted a wolf actually well um, with her eagle so like they can actually take down they are huge and they can take um, down really large kind of other predators mm. um, so the documentary I was watching is called Eagle Huntress and it was made in 2016 and it tells the story of Ashalpan and um, she's trying to become an eagle hunter and by competing in this festival. And then after the festival, if you like she won in the festival and then she goes into the mountains with her um, dad to learn how to be an eagle right. huntress and, and to take down a kill. Like so she comes back as um, a hunter. Sorry to give it all away. But uh, so but she, she will... only six. Uh, so at the time of the documentary in 2016, she was only 13. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, so she belongs to a family of nomads and they spend yeah. their summers in a yurt in the Altai Mountains and then their winters in a house in the town. And like a man, the men in her family have been eagle hunters for over for generations and she wants to follow in their footsteps. And through her dad, she learns how to train a golden eagle. And then she, so it, it follows where she captures and trains her own eaglet. So when they're really young and then it becomes her bond, her bonded. Yeah companion and then she goes to the so follows her captured her eaglet going to the competition her eaglet breaks a speed record in one of the events and then after the competition she takes a final step towards becoming an eagle hunter by traveling with her dad to the mountains to hunt foxes and brave the kind of conditions and you know and then so her eaglet successfully killed its first fox and she comes home so um i would highly recommend watching it because it's beautiful the um the it's uh it has this really stirring musical soundtrack mm. and like it ends on the ad of like you could do anything you know uh what's her name sia is that her name she yeah. sings the song and um Daisy Ridley uh, narrates it, narrates the documentary. Okay. So from uh, everybody knows Star Wars at this point. And um, so what was interesting about it, right, is that the documentary is actually unbelievably beautiful and it stirs your heart and whatever. But there's a lot in the documentary about how she wants to become the first female hunt uh, eagle hunter. And it talks about how, like, you know, she's going up against these um you know, men who don't want her because she's a woman don't think that she can be. And like, there's a lot they of dominated field, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I know. No, don't get me wrong. There is historically it is usually men who do it yeah. but it's not women aren't prohibited from doing it and are actually welcome to if they like and you know because they're on horseback you know once you build the strength you're more than capable of doing it so yeah. um there were some people who came historians who came out after the release to say it's a slightly problematic and that they made it seem like she was going up you know against you know th these crazy odds but she like she was she's a 13 year old girl about yeah. eagle from a mountain and it's amazing and like her journey is amazing but just to 
I just want to note in this episode that, you know, um, the extremity shown in the in the documentary of people opposing her wasn't that as bad as that. It was kind of done for a bit of artistic license. But mm. now she is, she does say herself, like, I'm very happy that I won a man's competition. You know, she was, I think there were only two women in the whole competition that year. Including and she was her. like, yeah, and she was like, wow. it shows how strong women are. I yeah. don't think she's the first one in her family, do you know, that kind of way there have been others, but very few. But basically the historian Adrian Mayer, who came back and said her bravery and her feats in that eagle hunting contest are really amazing and inspiring. And that would have been enough in the film without yeah. trying to set it up as, you know, she had this adversity or whatever. So, um, so male uh, Burkichi, uh eagle hunters are certainly more common than females, but it is open to interested girls and like what was interesting to archaeology shows that eagle huntresses were probably more common in ancient times that I think if you even think of like you know a huntress with her eagle you can kind of yeah. see images from um from like you know you know 300 AD do you know what I mean and step nomad females are riding and hunting and are active warriors in battle so mm like there were at like settled patriarchal societies like Greece and Rome where women stayed home and they we were weaving and minding children the lives of people nomadic people were centered on horses and archery so they all shared the vigorous outdoor life they had no choice and everyone could ride fast horses shoot arrows and hunt for fur and game and defend the tribe and um, definitely horse riding and archery because like that leveled out the physical difference because a woman on her horseback is just as fast and agile as a man. So this kind of um, yeah. ancient way of life, um, it is it was a, like it was essential for tribes that both men and women were able to do this, but um, and they were continuously migrating and um, and their traditions have remained kind of you know more steadfast at other places, but you know men and women are slowly but surely now might have more differentiated tasks but you know in ancient times it would have been the same but um mayor kind of yeah. adrian mayor who said this she said that um and like a few of the other people who came back they were saying like you brought your own patriarchal worlds onto these people you know you um you brought your own assumptions of what was you know um, gender equality and and assumed yeah. because there weren't that many women that she was going up against this you know kind of adversity or whatever so that was interesting I really enjoyed watching the documentary because yeah. it's very very good and I would still recommend it and um, because it shows everything about their lives and about her and her journey and the the and the golden eagle uh, competition um and the kind of training they do which is like and it's shot beautifully and Daisy Ridley does a great um you know, a uh, great narration on it. So um, I would recommend it. And I also thought the it was interesting to see the other takes on it afterwards, you know, about how <laughs> there, it might have been a bit too beautiful and a bit too artistic, you know. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, like they, they, they hunt small mammals and they form a really close bond with their birds. And um, mm -hmm. this demanding craft is passed down through generations and the training hasn't really changed in millennia. Like, So the hunters dress in traditional clothes of homemade furs and leathers and they hunt while riding on horseback. And it, it is a tradition, but it's also a means of survival for these um, 
yeah. for these types. So then, um, and as I said, historically, they're usually male. Um, it's traditionally handed down from father to son. But obviously, you know, as with any male dominated field, you know, women have risen and excelled in it. And there are a lot of nuanced kind of complex distinctions between kind of like among the activities of capturing domesticating training and evaluating the eagle and showing and competing there was way more going on than I realized so I could when mm-hmm. I so when you go into this it's so interesting you know and uh, you know like eagle falconry or whatever it's called it can be done on foot or on horseback you know so it was just it blew my mind because I wouldn't have had any experience whatsoever with birds no. or prey or anything so I really enjoyed that aspect of it and um the hunter and their eagle and their bond like it's so strong and they're like almost like one you know yeah. and most of the eagles are treated like family members they're fed by hand they're kept in comfortable yeah. quarters in the family's home they care for their birds like their children yeah. and they like even swallow them in a letter during the winter months and they like cradle them in their arms and like you oh. can see you oh, can see them like these like little you know like these uh, you know old Hunt, like you know like old hunters these male hunters carrying their bird like a baby and I'm like, <laughs> no they love being carried like this you know so like yeah it's just a nice image but um so the birds are captured around four years old when they're at the age when they're old enough to know how to hunt but they're young enough to adapt to kind of the human contact and the bond yeah. and then children as young as 13 are given their eagles or go and they get their eagles to begin their bond and that continues for the next 10 years and you know obviously when you see them during the hunt you know they, they seem to almost be able to talk to each other it's mad like you know so even though the eagles have lifespan stretching over 30 years the hunters only keep the birds until they're old enough to breed so they keep them for about between the seven and ten years and then they release them back into the wild um so that they will live out the rest of their lives freely and that they'll breed sorry i just priscilla wanted to tell you that in case you were getting a bit <laughs> um so no, <laughs> you know what i was a bit a bit remember i don't know if i told you it's it's a bit of a segue but I ha- it's related to the topic i in January, I was I witnessed a falconry exhibition in a in a hotel here in in Galway. I don't know if I told you. So the trainer, I was very you know how I am with animals. For people who don't know, animal dealing it's a very touchy subject for me. So I was I was about to ask Trey, what do you mean by eagle hunters? And she mm. she read my mind because you know that how delicate are these subjects for me. But I remember when I was going back to this topic I remember when I was with the trainer because it was a one-on-one so it was trainer my partner and I and the trainer brought in his van a falcon uh he brought a falcon a hawk and other a barn owl and other birds of prey which was amazing I mean I highly recommend this type of of experiences and the first thing I asked the trainer I don't know if you're going to tell me the truth but do you mistreat your birds and he (laughs) laughed at me and say look we if here especially because this happened in Ireland. Say here in Ireland, we need to protect them. We need to have license. We cannot mishandle these birds. It's it's legal. Second of all, the thing with birds, aside from other animals that you might have seen, I don't know, in attractions, uh, circus or whatever, the thing with birds is that if you you cannot have them in captivity if they're not happy because they can yeah. fly away. There's no point to have a bird with no with no wings because the whole point of the artistry. And I have seen this as well in another very amazing amusement park in France that they have a whole collection of birds, eagles included. And I think they also have golden eagles and they're massive. But just just to summarize this, what he was saying is that a trainer needs to be needs to love their birds. Yeah. Because the bird trusts you. And he showed me that. And I remember when you were saying she was a 13-year-old girl, and on top of that, on a horseback, 
I they gave it to me a falcon and the falcon was like I think a falcon is a third of the size of an eagle and they're beautiful <laughs> I love I fell in love with this uh, fal- uh, falcon his name was Seamus I love yeah. him and any, I remember that the, the bird was coming to me and they gave me the glove and they told me, you need to put it this way. I'm going to give you a piece of meat. And I was, and he told me, don't be afraid because they can sense that you're afraid. But I was in love with the falcon. And the fact that he, the, like you say, he, he was not coming from a very long distance and the power this bird had. Yeah. And that, that's the only reason why I put this comparison. And I'm a big person. So just to put in comparison, a 13 year old girl and this eagle coming from a giant ass mountain and coming yeah. to her, that is, it blows my, my mind because those birds are powerful and the mm-hmm. trust that you need to have with them because they need, you were, you were just saying a moment ago, they need to have this so, sort of bond and trust. And mm-hmm. I think if I watch that documentary, I'm going to fall into pieces. I'm going to cry my eye, my eyeballs because i just love anything that's related with a in a way kind of like a love or friendship story with animals and that yeah. kind of way it's just oh yeah like, like it is it is lovely and like it is it is um a lovely bond that they have but also it's a lovely community that they have yeah. in that way as well and you just see her like there's like clips of her just wandered around her house and she's like got the eagle there you know because the eagle comes with her everywhere you know and she just oh. takes care of them and yeah. uh, like giving them food and then just being like no you've had enough I give you more I won't be able to fly stop giving out to me <laughs> like you know and just like you know they're just so lovely together and um you know uh when you you can also see the footage of her going to get the eaglet and it's unbelievable it's out in the middle of the mountains she's being lowered down on a rope she's just oh my god like you know so when oh, you've gone through that to to get your eagle and then to bond with the eagle I can only imagine like you know yeah. um so they, so like the story, her story is lovely. And I, I chose her just because her story is one that I saw in the documentary. And um, and she is just so heartwarming. I loved I loved seeing her on the screen. I thought she was very engaging. And, um, and I love seeing her bond. But also there are other female kind of eagle hunters out yeah. there. And there's a lot of them coming to the, you know, for now because, you know, they've become a bit more international. People know more about them and photographers are obsessed with them because you can imagine this like for horseback, the birds, you can imagine out into the desert, you know, that kind of thing. So you can just imagine the shot. Yeah, the scenery is beautiful. I was going to ask you, how old was Asholpan when she started with the, with this, uh, training this way to become a you know a huntress was it when she was a like a 10 year old Tyler or yeah just over 10 yeah she started her training with her with her dad so um and but like because it's not just about your bond with the bird or being able to be strong enough with the bird it's being able to take on these harsh conditions so she had to go out and you know go on trips with her dad to like just learn how to live in the wild because that's what they do they go out yeah um, they're no yeah so then and and especially the hunters you know they go out yeah. to the nowhere they go into the top of mountains and they scan you know so like they and they have to be so still and all, everything like that so um like it's 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 so it's an incredible story anyway and you know like um you just being able to do all of that anyway but um even you know say another one i saw zaman ball she was 
like she's also a member of the same tribe and like she's not a full-time hunter so during the week she goes to school in the city and then on weekends she trades as a hunter you know so when school is done on friday yeah she goes home finishes her homework does her chores or does her stuff around the house and then on saturday she saddles up her horse tracks deep into the mountains and hunts wild beasts with her bird with her eagle oh so and um, like and and she's what i said earlier she had her eagle have even hunted wolves so her grandfather taught her all she knew um of hunting and like how to call the bird in the sky how to speak to them when they're perched on your arm that kind of stuff so i like with Samoval, it's interesting because she brings friends with her sometimes and then like and they all just be on, on the horses you know full gallop or whatever it is I, like, I don't know, is it, like, is it a gallop? Is, I can't remember, but anyway, uh, like, you know, rough terrain, into the mountains. Yeah. And then she posts selfies on Facebook, and she's just there with her eagle and her friends. So <laughs> with a bird. Selfie, yeah, on Facebook afterwards. And then, like, people are commenting, like, oh, your eagle is so lovely. <laughs> like, so, like, I just really liked the kind of, uh, you know, the whole idea that she would, that this is such a tradition, you know, yeah. and it's it's thousands of years old almost at this point, like, and, um, and, and story, you know, yeah, and she she has that connection with this tradition. And she's also posting on Facebook. So I just like, I like, I really liked her story as well. I really enjoyed. And I like, I saw some photos of her from like 2020. So I saw her recently. Um, and there's other other women there that you can see. And there's an interesting history to it, which I'm not going to go into here. And just in general to say that, like, you know, um, Mongolia probably has a bit more like women's equality kind of in terms of education, government, religion, law, medicine and other fields. And uh, just to note that and uh, because you just you don't know, you might assume, you know, um, there are nomads, they're out, you know, in a train. They're like, yeah. you know, I, I saw some people say something about being uncivilized or whatever, you know. So just to note that they they seem to have a lot of, I don't 100% know, but they seem to have a lot of uh, gender equality when it comes to different fields. But um, so, yeah, it's just a short story. Um, the documentary I watched and the photos are beautiful. I put a link into the photos and um, just like Mongolian eagle hunting is an interesting tradition anyway and then the stories about the young girls going out becoming a female eagle hunter is amazing so um i hope you enjoyed that and uh, i loved it oh my god are you kidding me is she now in 2020 is she from what we can maybe gather or you know research is she still you know being a hunter is she is she she still to my knowledge she she is yeah Um, do we know the name of the eagle I can't remember. And I was like, I'm raging. I can't remember. Like, I was like hoping he wouldn't ask because I actually just completely blanked the name. And I was really hoping he wouldn't ask. Anything that has to do with animals. I know. And I'm like, why did I watch this before I sat down so that I'd remember? No, it's okay. (laughs) It's an incredible story. I'm trying actually to contain my my tears when you were saying like the bond they had and how she trained the eagle. And uh, I mean, I can 100% guarantee you if I watch that documentary, I'm going to cry out of happiness, out of sadness, out of everything. Because it's just those stories I think that we need just to see other 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 ways of living like the nomads yeah. something that has always intrigued me there's this documentary um it's back whew, maybe in early 2000s about this 
Spanish guys from uh, the Vascan, I think in the, the translation will be the Vascan land in Spain, that they have their own dialect and everything. And they have this uh, wood instrument that is called Chalaparta. But anyway, basically their whole thing is that they go from one nomad society to another. And I think they also go to Mongolia among the Sami people in Norway and another one in India, if I'm not mistaken. But what they do is that how you connect the power of music with people that you may think they're so different from mm. you that your life might be better accommodated because you live in modern times, but they have their own culture, their own dialect, their own society, and they're thriving. And most of them, what they're trying to do, even though it was related to music, what most of them when they're trying to do the, this nomads are they're trying to live sustainably and they're trying to protect wildlife in the case of the sami people that there's this like they deal a lot with reindeers and even though they hunt the reindeers and they use the entirety of their body but they say this is a sustainable way for us because we also protect them we also make sure that we don't deplenish the land and because mm -hmm. they believe in the you know the life cycle and mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure it's the same thing with this nomads in mongolia because they i know that they have this festivals of horseback riding with children and they're really proud of their horses they love their animals and mm -hmm. they you know they want to protect the way of living it's just it's beautiful i i like to hear this kind of stories so uh here's to ashimo um, here's to ashimo yeah cheers cheers now we're virtually click clink, clink, uh -huh. clink. virtually trained oh trey thank you so much for bringing her it's so <laughs> I love it. I sorry that I asked the question about the eagle, but I I'm already falling in love with the eagle, even though I haven't seen it. Yeah, you you can watch it and you'll enjoy it definitely. But um, that note, I'm happy enough to end Ashenball's story there on this episode. For mm -hmm. those who want to see more, they can go. I will put links up to different yes. things that I've seen, and uh, perhaps we might go on a break. Yeah, let's go on a break. Let's find an eaglet and start doing horseback riding. We're back from our break. Cock, cock. I'm, I'm calling my eagle. Calling my eagle from the mountains. By the way, I just saw during the break, I uh, watched the trailer and yeah, I cried. Like the way that, she, even in that one minute and a half of a trailer, the way that they show her how proud she is of her eagle. And yeah. like obviously, the voice of, you know, the voice of the narrator saying, in this land and a generation that it was passed from one man to another. And then they put the picture of her and oh my God. I'm a sucker for those stories. And it's just the fact that they show you how proud she was of her ego. Yeah. I was like, by the way, she doesn't look like she's a 13-year-old girl. No. She looks a lot younger. That yeah. is. In, in, and she is so strong. Trey, it, she is so strong. Mm -hmm. No, it, I definitely. I, I think I do want to see that trailer. I know I'm going to probably cry the entire entirety of it. But it, it, it looks amazing. And just like you said, the shot it was, wow. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Yeah. You know, like a fun fact, you know, actually now remembering what when I was in that falconry activity uh, in Galway, do you know how much an eagle in Ireland cost for trainers to get one? Wouldn't have a breeze. So I actually asked him because when he was, you know, bringing the, the, the birds, like he brought a barn, a barn owl, he brought another type of owls. 
the falcon that I love, uh, uh, the hawk, uh, which, by the way, the hawk was a female, and he said it was his best and fastest. And you know what the name of the, of the hawk was? What? Pandora. Oh. And she was the fastest. He said that it was the most fastest of all the hawks she, he has. But anyway, I was asking him, like, oh, so how much, like, an eagle will cost for you to have, obviously, legal and everything, blah, blah, blah. 5,000 euro. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So like, now if, if I... Yeah. So, you know, you might want to go and call your own eagle rather than pay yeah, for exactly. one. Maybe what I can do, instead of having a car, I can just get an eagle. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they could go get your yeah. things. You could hunt things together. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, even, obviously, that's 5,000 euro. That's an insane amount of money for, also, um, for Ashleton, you know, the birds, like, they, they don't even consider it money. It's just, you know, their family member. It's mad, isn't it? I know. That was, like, the way that they were showing you, like, the, the just the captions. And, I, again, I just saw, how, like, an, a minute of half of the trailer. But, obviously, they... They know how to do that. Like, the, yeah. it's a movie. They know what they're doing, and it looks yeah. amazing. But anyway. Oh, sorry. Uh, the other thing I forgot to say is that yeah. they're always female eagles because they're bigger and uh, better hunters. Oh, you know, actually, that's I was going to tell you that. You know, actually, in the animal realm, the females, regardless of the species, are always the better hunters. Yeah. So uh, they, the female eagles are actually a lot larger than the mm -hmm. male eagles as well. Um, but, yeah, so that was... Um, an interesting little story, an interesting little break for yourself, Priscilla. No, oh, I loved it. Yeah. Anyway, I guess I am ready now to reveal my woman. Mm -hmm. So I think, and the way that I can link both Ashalpan and my woman is the fact that both of them are, you know, in this case of mine and yours, mine comes from the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Mine is an Irish woman. Oh. And, yeah. It's an Irish woman, and both of them were defying what, you know, in a way, society was calling for their gender. I'm going to talk to you about a very well-renowned, at that time, surgeon. Mm -hmm. Her name, actually, until the day, her final day, she was called Dr. James Barry. Yes. And you probably know, I, I, I will be surprised if you don't know her story. Anyway, this is the story of Dr. James Barry a very successful surgeon in the 19th century. The reason why her name was Dr. James Barry is because the entirety of her life, she was impersonating or dressed as a man. Some people and some historians from what I have read is that she could be, it, it basically, it was the first or one of the first depictions of a transgender person in, in this case, in Ireland. So basically, the reason why her name was, well, actually, her real name, the way that she was born was her name was Margaret Ann Bulkley. And the reason why she later in her late teens, actually, when she was 14, she became uh, James Barry was because back in the 19th century, her passion was always to be a doctor. She wanted to, you know, do something that it was not dictated by her gender. So she wanted to be a doctor. That's what she wanted to do. In the UK, uh, trade, you can maybe, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Ireland as well, it was illegal. Well, yeah, it was not permitted for a woman to be a doctor. I think at that point, the only thing that they were maybe allowed was to be nurses, but definitely not doctors. And that's what she wanted to do. So her her life uh, story starts in 1789 when she was born in Cork from a, a merchant family. Uh, her father's name was Jeremiah Buckley, and he was a, sharp mer uh, a shop on merchant ski. I think one of them serviced in the ships in Cork. And 
during that time, uh, there was in, I think, 1798, there was a, re uh, rebe a rebellion and then the Acts of Union uh, that actually tied with Ireland and, the, the you know, what tied Ireland with the bondage to Britain. So unfortunately, at that time, even though they were not really an affluent family, but they were accommodated family because of the, you know, the merchant business that her father had. But unfortunately, because of what happened, uh, they lost their fortune, their small fortune. And basically, then after that, uh, they lost their, fa uh, their fortune, their father passed away, and it was only basically uh, Margaret, uh, her brother, and her uh, mother. Actually, uh, a lot of the recollection it was saying that she was a lot brighter than her brother, and with the middle-class expectations, they were not expecting her to be other than a wife, have have children, have a family, but she didn't want that. She actually, uh, there were even recollections that she actually wanted to be in the army. She wanted to fight. She wanted to, you know, you know, do what was dictated for men to do at that time. So um, after the the dad passed away, they were um, basically brought upon their uncle, which the name the when her uncle passed away, they he actually left a lot of money. So with that money, um, they decided that you know, um, there's. The, for some reason, when he passed away, they uh, they had this money, so you can tell that they, with that they could you know have a way of life. But at that time, Margaret was only fourteen, and they decided, right, your uncle passed away, but you're no longer gonna be like she didn't know she no longer wanted to be Margaret. So at fourteen, her mother dressed her up as a boy, and she was now identified as Jamesberry. So when she arrived in there, um, basically, another thing I, I forgot to mention is that her uncle James, he was a great fan of Mary Wollstonecraft. Mm -hmm. So for people who don't know who Mary Wollstonecraft is, first of all, that she is Mary Shelley's uh, mother. Anyway, she was basically, many people will say that maybe the first feminist even though before that time feminist wasn't really a word, but he was a really uh, a big fan of her and her book of, which is called Vindication of the Rights of Women from 1792. So at that time, uh, Margaret's mother, you know, with the help of the, you know, at the time of the uncle, they disguise, disguise her as a boy and they enroll her in Edinburgh so she can start university and medical school. She was taken to Edinburgh and from there she started having this, this life as a boy. Hmm. So the thing with her is that she started medical school in Edinburgh. At that time, people didn't didn't really think any of it. Actually, what was funny is that they didn't suspect that she was a woman. They actually thought she was a lot younger than she was yeah. because yeah. of her voice, because of the way from what I would in the description it was saying because the, the way that she you know her skin you know her high high pitched voice her size everybody thought no she's a lot younger like we cannot let her start medical school if she's a little boy basically but they were able to they were able to convince them to enroll her so thanks to the friend of well like i said her uncle passed they gave them the they gave the money to the family but there were these two friends who were also trying to protect the Buckley family one of them was actually the general francisco de Miranda. he's actually from uh he was from venezuela and david stewart erskine 
and they were both actually very strong supporters of women's education. Uh, the thing with Margaret is that she disguised herself as James Barry to study medical school, but she basically did not want it to stay this way. She just wanted to, you know, excel and study and just become become a doctor. But the what I, what I wanted to mention about this uh, general call, Francisco de Miranda, is that in Venezuela at that time, women can practice as doctors or in the medical field. So... Mm-hmm. Basically, her end goal was to, okay, I'm going to study, prepare myself to be a doctor, and then I'm going to, you know, go to Venezuela when I can, you know, go back to be, in a way, a woman. Mm -hmm. So, but unfortunately, at that time, because I I believe there was a rebellion um, in Venezuela, he was caught. He was brought on to the to a Spanish jail, and she that dream was no longer available for her. So um, she decided, you know, to finish medical school. It was really hard at that time, regardless of you know what whatever gender. It was a hard life because it was 16 hours a day of lectures, starting practical classes, and ward experience. And needless to say, this was the 19th century, so it was very grisly dissections in yeah. very insanitary conditions, and it was a very the way that they were also describing it is a it was a very overwhelmingly masculine environment and at that time she needed to be prepared for that she also needed to know how to do or how to do many things that you know the way that early she was brought upon wasn't really her world and now it changed completely like from her later teens to 20 when she was now preparing to be that that was not really you know the way that was she prepared but she was very eager because at the end this is what she wanted to do this was her calling mm-hmm. So she was actually, um, after finally qualifying as a doctor in Edinburgh, uh, she passed her membership and then she became a member of the Royal College of Surgeons. By that time, that's when she decided, uh, you know what, I cannot go to Venezuela because, you know, the situation, you know, with general, I can no longer have that uh, passage to go there. She decided, okay, I'm going to become a British Army soldier. The thing that really fascinates me about this story is that her family and friends were supporting her. Mm. Like they wanted her to, you know, pursue the career that she wanted. And they would like her own mother helped her to disguise herself when she was only 14. So in a way, she changed her gender. She identified herself as James Barry. She, you know, studied medical school for years. And then she was able to certify herself and became a British Army surgeon. And basically for the next half century, that's what she did. She pulled the army. Yeah, she was literally for the rest of her life, like she was only identified as a female for 14 years. And she died at the age of 70 by dysentery because she contracted dysentery. And the only reason why, just, I mean, it's spoiler alert of what happened with the story, but the only reason why people knew she was a woman, it was because when she died, one of her wishes before she died was like, I want to be buried with my own, with the clothing that I have. Like the, the reason why is why she wanted to die with her, with her secret, with her lie. So she said, I want to die in my own clothing, so I don't want anybody to touch me. Um, from what I understand as well, I guess nobody really, like even she had her she had her own servant when she became very, you know, very prominent, very successful. Mm-hmm. So for 50 years, she had this, um, this servant with her that he, every morning he will place six different ta- different sized towels up on her bed uh, because those towels, she will use them for her shoulders, for her hips, for her chest to disguise herself. Mm. And she will do that every single morning. And <laughs> another fun fact that I thought it was very, very funny is that she owned a goat, she owned a black cat and she owned a dog. And the goat, she will, the goat will travel for her for the uh, all the time because she needed to have fresh milk every day. Oh my gosh. I thought that was very interesting. 
another thing, another, the reason why I was saying that she was a very uh, successful surgeon at that time is because there was no anesthetics. There was nothing at the time for, mm. for to perform surgeries or amputations, especially because she was an army doctor. So there were, there were times that, you know, a doctor needs to be really strong because when you need to ap- amputate whatever limb from your soldier, from someone, you needed to like restrain your patient because there was no anesthetics nothing Mm -hmm. and she was able to excel at that and another thing is that she was the first surgeon that it was recorded in recorded to perform a successful uh cesarean as uh with like with both the the mother and the child to survive wow she was the first uh the first surgeon to do that like successfully like nobody like in recollected history nobody has been able to perform that other than herself and she was actually very successful like during her time in the army and further uh for the british empire like nobody knew who she was yet she was excelling at everything she did and the other thing that i really liked about her that she advocated a lot for better hygiene system for prisoners for slave for lepers uh, she was against you know against slavery uh, there were a lot of things that they were saying that you know she wanted to bring medical services for everyone doesn't matter who they are she believed that you know uh, a healthcare system is for everyone and i really like that about her uh, i think that she was really ahead of her time Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, she was definitely disguising. I, I don't know. I think it's very debatable that there's not a lot because, again, this is all coming from historians. This is all coming from articles. There's also a book about her life and everything says she disguised her gender. But there was, the, the I think, the one from the RTE, the article from the RTE, which I'm definitely going to share. They were saying, saying you know, nowadays, I think the article, again, is from 2016. You know, nowadays that there's uh, all of this new era of gender fluidity, like people, you know, gender is a construct and that I really I do welcome that idea um they were saying if she was really as in she then identified herself as a man or did she really did this to you know to be to do her calling because at that time it was illegal like no women were performing as as you know medics or as a surgeon yeah, yeah. so I think it was very did she identify as a man or was she just disguising herself exactly i want to say that maybe she was disguising herself because the fact that she wanted to go to venezuela to practice as a woman as a medic as a female uh surgeon like mm-hmm. maybe I, I could be wrong maybe later later on she did in fact identify as a male but it's just that when i read that that in fact, that thanks with the help of this general, she was hoping to flee the country, go to Venezuela and then practice there as a as a surgeon, uh, as uh, you know, as a doctor. So I don't know. I, I, I guess we will never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, all from what I was saying is that she was disguising as a man. There were uh, some people who were saying that she had this re- homosexual relationship with this uh, mate uh, with this major. I think it's called Major Somerset. But Again, it was not, I mean, that's what people believe because she was a man. Like, even in yeah. the pictures, if you Google J- Dr. James Berry, and obviously they will then give you Ma- Margaret Ann Buckley as her name, it's all pictures of her as a man. Like, even mm-hmm. when you see the pictures, oh, that's a man. But it, it was her. And the fact that she was able to succeed with the lie for, like, pretty much 50 years, that is incredible. And I just can't believe that she achieved so much. And also, at the same time, was disguised and keeping this secret for so long. Yeah, it, it, it was, I think, it was a very interesting story. The fact that she disguised herself, she performed the first, the first cesarean surgery. She wanted to help everyone. 
she fought she fought in the army she was also an army doctor she actually involved herself in many duels because there's another the way that other historians were des- uh, describing her is that quote unquote a ladies man <laughs> so I was like I wonder if it was she was being called a ladies man because she really maybe was attracted to, to women or just to put this facade or this you know kind of like oh yeah I'm a man this is how men uh, uh, you know are supposed to behave and she was actually involved in a lot of duels as well because they describe her as a really hot temper like even she was also in the Crimea, Crimean War where mm. uh, Florence Nightingale was in the Crimean War Florence Nightingale I believe she's English and she was a very um, she was basically the founder or, of what the modern the modern nurses are from what I understand mm. but anyway even Florence Nightingale thought she was a man and she said oh it's the worst primitive man I ever met in my life <laughs> Again, quote unquote, this is from what I, I, I've been reading. And I thought it was uh, like she was able to fool everyone. She was even able to fool Queen Victoria, the British Empire. So much so that uh, when she died again at 70, uh, when they, uh, her death certificate identifies herself as a male. Like even their death certificate is as a, you know, shown as a male instead of female. Mm. They were able to do an army funeral procession for her. And then when the one of the, I think Sophie Bishop was the, uh, was one of her servants for many years. She was the one that, you know, was undressing her to, you know, bait, like prepare her body. And that's when she realized this is a woman, like literally when she was 70. And apparently when they did that, they realized that uh, she even have um, some scarring from uh, maybe an early pregnancy. Mm. So it's another thing that they were very interesting. And I just thought from the, no, the, the really prominent life she had, um, uh, you know, I she know was, that's what's so mad about it is that she's so she was actually, as you said, very prominent in society. She was very prominent in society. <laughs> um, she had her servants, like I mean, at that time, servants. Her, you know, her her life well accommodated. Um, she was in the war. In the Crimean War, she was in Cape Town. She was all pretty much all over the all over the world in these campaigns and treating people. And nobody knew. Um, no, nobody really knew who she was until the literally the end. Yeah. But I just I just wanted to bring. This is a very short story, but I think that. This is not a story you will hear a lot in history. I know that there are, there were other stories uh, from other female, you know, soldiers. There, there, there was one that I think this was in the American Revolution. I might talk about her later. I don't remember her last name. I think her name was Deborah or Debbie, but she fought for the revolution under I think George Washington's army and she disguised herself as a man but because again she wanted to fight she wanted to you know be part of the revolution but again this is no place for a woman so what's the last resource obviously to disguise herself to change her gender and it makes me think a lot about back in you know back in the 19th century or you know their you know previous centuries how many women are were out there who wanted who could have excel in many fields you don't know, inventors, musicians, artists, uh, you know, anyone. Mm. And they were not allowed because of their gender. Like, it makes me really wonder, 
what we the, what did we lose yes. in humanity in development because we didn't we let the you know the patri patriarchal society or you know the stigma of not having a woman you know to do perform these things and we missed a lot and she's a clear example that this is what she needed to do in order to do her profession and she excelled at it another thing that, uh, that I read is that uh, not many people actually could have thought you know at that time when she was accepted in the medical school uh, they didn't really you know you only present yourself I want to be you know I want to be a student okay Right, fair enough. Right. Yeah. And, they, and she was disguised as a man. They didn't do like a physical exam. Not that, I mean, they didn't do any examination. They just believe what she was saying even though she was maybe five feet tall very small very fair skin as the way that they describe it and he was like i want to be a doctor you know it's just it's insane but i think that uh like it, that that is striking me i don't know how to feel about it they're saying oh people wouldn't you know debate that she was a female because nobody could believe women could do that so obviously he's uh, she's a man you know yeah. obviously she's a man because no woman will be able to perform as a surgeon they wouldn't have the intellectual rigor so like, well have... exactly yeah so yeah, just wanted to bring the story of James. I, I, I guess, uh, yeah, James Barry, because at the end of the day, that was, you know, her or his dying wish. Uh, but she did it because, you know, she wanted to be someone else that what her gender or society did dictated for her so mm. she lived this huge life but it was for the best um she did a lot she saved a lot of lives she was a war hero hero uh, hero and also a medical pioneer so she lives she literally saved lives of soldiers and gave life to the unborn i my mind is blown i'm just catching up with all of this this is what, like imagine the scandal at the time when that came out and also like what a weird story <laughs> yes and just like Actually, it's so because, unusual. So, yeah, I'm just going to read something from just this, this small paragraph from one of the articles that said, Barry's deathbed sex secret robbed the Victorian establishment. The army had been full and placed an embargo on Barry's military record for a hundred years, hoping this scandal will pass. That's... It was a scandal. Apparently, this was when, you know, when that happened. And imagine, like, nobody knew. And at that time, like I said, there was no social media, no internet, no anything. It was just like a, a word of mouth. That is hilarious. I just keep thinking of Mulan. Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. Oh, this is gas. What a good story. Yeah, I, I do want to, now that you mentioned M M Mulan, I want to research because I don't know. I think it's a legend. The legend of I mean, it is some. It's a story, but I don't think it was a real woman. I think it's just a legend. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Be. It was. It was a poem. It was um, yes about it. Um, but I don't know if it's based on anybody. But um, this is a mad story, and I don't like. On one hand, I feel proud for them because they wanted to, you know, achieve. They set out to achieve what what they probably wouldn't have been able to unless without this subterfuge you know yeah. and uh, to have followed through on it their whole life and like it must have been some weight to carry yeah. so like I'm proud for them that they managed to achieve what they did I'm yeah. sad for them that they couldn't live as a woman unless they did want to identify yeah. as a man it's hard to it's, it's hard to know as you said because so many doors hard. were closed to women so um it's uh it's difficult to tell but like what a weird mystery and what a weird story and what a 
an interesting one yeah, and amazing. We will never know. Like it from recollection, so much like yeah, madness. It was a lie for Carrie for fifty years. Like she died at seventy. And sure, that's it. That's old age as well to die back then as well. You know, it's, that's a life well lived. You know, there was there was another um there there's another anecdote in here that there was this um this doctor who treated Barry uh because they uh he contracted well. They contracted a, an infection in Canada and like it was a chest infection and the doctor was saying, well, when I treated her, the bedroom was always in darkness when I was examining him. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, sure, but you're examining a chest. Wouldn't you see? Aren't you a doctor? <laughs> exactly. <Sure. laughs> Yeah. You know the anatomy, right? Exactly. Uh, that's, but that's the story. Hell, hell. That's just mad. Now, I really enjoyed that story. I'd kind of known some of it before, but kind of in passing. So I didn't know the full story. So I really enjoyed that. And very fantastic woman. Mm-hmm. I think she was a very fantastic woman. I want to, like, I was not not debate about talking about her because I definitely wanted to talk about her at some time which is, this was the time but I was like how am I going to talk about her because you know it's not really hard and maybe you need to get used to like I guess with pronouns nowadays that you know she he they and it's fine you can you can definitely work out the pronouns but in this case that is something from history mm. and especially because you don't know the real story as in did she identify herself as a as a male I mean she did but she did it for survival instinct like for for survival and for vocation purposes mm. in a way so i don't know it was very weird and interesting and i just wanted to bring it to the table just to another example of you know what bravery is because it, you got to be brave and mad to do that for 50 years but um not that it was bad you know as, as to live that way to knowing the repercussions at that time yeah like i mean when I mean. when she finished um medical school there was no going back sure exactly like, in order to practice as a surgeon you had to they had to identify as a man you yeah. know there's no there's no going back yeah she was a, so, it, she was in in the war as well so like oh my gosh gas really enjoyed that thanks yeah. for that story priscilla yeah it's just another example of you know like a shop and another example of bravery skill tenacity and i just mm-hmm. like to link this way our women and I'm, I'm just happy to leave it at that unless there's anything else you just want to bring but no my mind's still blown over this story so i don't have anything else to say about it so i'm just really looking forward to going looking up a bit more about it yeah. and um and thanks priscilla and to very fantastic women yeah cheers to and them cheers to them cheers. 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 and uh i'm happy to call that episode of your yeah i am happy too so again Again, we will always leave all of our footnotes. We definitely welcome you in the case of Trey to, you know, watch that documentary. Uh, I just saw the trailer and I'm just flabbergasted. I definitely, I, I think I do want to see it. I know I'm going to cry, but I will. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I will also share my, you know, the articles that I have um, read and investigated about Dr. James Barry. And yeah, like we will share everything. As you know, if you have any questions or anything you want to say or fact checked, or is there any amazing woman out there that, you know, who you would like us to, you know, bring and tell the story, please email us 
at fantasticwomenpodcast at gmail.com. I knew we, it was close. We also have social media. Yes. Um, we have a Facebook page, uh, Fantastic Women Pod- Fantastic Women Are Where to Find Them podcast. Yes. We have a, we have an Instagram page, um, Fantastic Women Pod, and um, you can find our podcast, subscribe, listen, share it with your friends. That would be great um, if you like these stories and if you want to listen to more. And you can listen to anywhere now, like anywhere you find your podcast. We are out there and we are out and yeah if anything just just give us a shout yeah so thanks for listening to this episode i really enjoyed it and uh we'll see you at the next one see you in the next one bye, bye.